What's up, everybody? Welcome to Hangout in the Holy Land, Land Grant's flagship podcast. I am your host, Josh Dooley, and with me riding shotgun, as always, he is the lemon to my lime, none other than Chuck Holmes. Uh, It's great to be back with you guys for another episode. Chuck and I are currently just sitting on some frozen vegetables in our respective basements trying to beat this Ohio heat. But partner, it's been a minute. How was your 4th of July? I believe you turned down an invitation to Michael Rubin's white party, if I'm not mistaken. Is that correct? Yeah, I couldn't commit to the whole day. And you know how it is. If, if you're only going to be there for a couple of hours, it does no good. So did you just sit at home and grill and watch some fireworks and stuff? That's it. We've, we lit off some fireworks. I uh, got to be in a parade, which was a good time. Uh, it was uh, It was hot. But the uh, the boys held up well, and it was it was a good time. You know, we got to throw some candy, uh, got to get squirted with some water guns, and um, yeah, it was a good time. Uh, happy birthday to America! Sounds like an absolute rager over there at the parade. But um, you know, speaking of fireworks, Chuck, let's just let's get it out of the way, right? Let's talk fireworks in um, Evanston. Took me a second. The whole Northwestern football controversy, uh, you know, revolving around Pat Fitzgerald, maybe some of his coaching staff, stuff like that. Look, I think we should talk about it at the beginning of the pod, but I honestly, I, I don't have a whole lot to add to the situation or say about it because I just don't think we know enough right now. I think the accusations are pretty damning. And if Pat Fitzgerald, you know, if it comes out that he sort of knew about some of this misconduct and this inappropriate behavior going on within his football program, then I think he needs to go. But, um, and I'll say this, if any of these allegations are true, and I'm not going to go down all all of this stuff, you know, people listening want to find out more about it, Google it. People have recapped it, reviewed it, done a lot more on it than I can possibly do it justice. But I, I would say if any of this stuff, is even remotely true for me it boils down to like that's the biggest part of it but like 1b or just below it is performance and like what are you going to bat for or who are you going to bat for this guy's 14 and 31 I think in his last four seasons as you as the Northwestern head football coach so you know I, I don't want to say that this could be swept under the rug if you were a great football coach but not only is he not that, but then you've got all of this gross behavior, gross alleged behavior on top of it. You know, I, I think it seems like it's it's time to cut ties. But that's my opinion. Where are you at on this, Chuck? Yeah, like you said, the allegations are pretty damning and it's hard for us to say for sure. But, you know, you always live, you know, in, in this world more than likely when there's smoke there's fire, right? And I know the guys that that uh, are on the current team came out and, and rebutted some of the allegations and said that they were uh, they they weren't all true or or whatever the wording was. So they didn't come out and like overtly deny that there was stuff going on. They just said it wasn't as bad as as some had led them to believe. So oh geez, such good news and not as bad. And and in reality, uh, like the idea that he knew or didn't know is completely irrelevant to me because each one of them is a fireable offense, right? If something was going on and he knew, he should be fired. If something was going on and he didn't know, it's his program. He should be fired, right? It, to, it doesn't to this matter. Extent, yeah, like if it right. isolated incident, maybe he gets the benefit of the doubt. But sure. allegation on top of allegation, you know, instance on top of instance – you're, you're right. I think that where there's smoke, there is fire, and it starts to add up. And, you know, we are recording on Monday night, so there might be some additional information that comes out tomorrow or even Wednesday before this podcast goes up. But as of now, you know, I think things are trending in a bad direction for both Pat Fitzgerald and Northwestern football, not just Pat Fitzgerald. You know, this is the the overseer, the coach, the leader of the program, but the butterfly effect and then, like, the implications, 
you know, if, if there are a lot of victims of this behavior, you know, th- those individuals have already been affected 10 times over uh, in, in a great deal. But, uh, you know, on top of that, you've got the, the players still within the program, other coaches, other leaders who may or may not have known about this, so on and so forth. So it, it really goes down the line. We'll see what happens. But, you know, say Northwestern is sort of required to start over, man, you want to talk about a long process because <clears throat> for what it's worth, Pat Fitzgerald did and has done some great things at Northwestern, both as a player and as a coach. They they won a couple Big Ten West titles and appeared in a Big Ten championship game or two. And you're not going to be able to to capture that again if you're sort of starting from scratch and probably looking for somebody who does not have an association with this program or hasn't in a number of years, you think that's fair? Like you can't just promote an assistant coach who works under this guy. No, I agree. Especially if, if some of the allegations of like the assistant coach is saying, Oh no, 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 I don't, I don't want to hear that. When, when guys were trying to tell them about what was going on, like if any of them were that way, like this is their last year, like they may have to stay on for the season, but you can't keep a single one of them because you, unless you get something that says definitely this guy didn't know anything, but if he's not talking to his uh, coworkers, like what, what are yeah. we doing? And he's, he's probably not a good leader anyway. So yeah, it's uh, it's not a good situation. It sure seems like uh, uh, whether it's uh, a, a one on the scale or a 10 on the scale of, of bad, they're, that somewhere on the scale of bad, some things happened at Northwestern. So it, it's unfortunate for those that were involved uh, if something truly did happen. And it's unfortunate for those that weren't involved in the program, because, you know, there's probably a lot of players in that program that didn't condone it, uh, couldn't do anything about it because they're players. And now they're going to be adversely affected uh, for the rest of their career and uh, maybe the rest of their life based on how their education prospects uh uh, pan out after this. Yeah, and you want to talk about, well, let's just talk about the football implications for a second. If something comes out and <clears throat> the Northwestern football pro- program is sort of temporarily blown up, you know, I don't think they're going anywhere. I don't think that, I'm not sure that this is a death sentence sort of thing like SM- SMU experienced decades ago, but say something comes out of all of this, like it's mid July. Chuck, some of these guys who want to now distance themselves from the program, sure, they'll have that opportunity, but they're not going to latch on with another team or another program before the beginning of the season. Like, that's just not realistic. So, yeah, now you're talking about 100-plus players uh, and possibly coaches where, like, they're going to be stuck in a really – bad, potentially toxic, negative situation, uh, again, just because of the timing of this whole thing. And that's another unfortunate layer added on to, you know, the rest. Yes, the ugly side of, of sports, you know, stuff like this has been going on forever. I feel like it's only been the last, uh, and, and rightfully so, the last 10 to 15 years that some of this stuff has really come to light and, and been brought to the attention of everybody that like, Hey, this isn't okay. Like there, there, there's being a part of a team and there's being, uh, uh, this is, uh, your boys and you're having a good time. And then there's crossing the line into stuff that, that scars people. So, uh, if that's what this is, that's super unfortunate. And, uh, I hope, uh, I hope there's some resolution quickly. So everybody involved and not involved can kind of move forward with their lives. Yeah. That's a good way to wrap it up. I I don't want to add too much on to that. Uh, hopefully it is resolved quickly and everyone involved can move on. And that's what I think we should do, Chuck. So, Real quickly, I want to address another elephant in the room, which is last week's episode. All right, so we recorded what? Very, what? No, we recorded very early last week due to the holiday. You know, we finished up Sunday evening, roughly thirty minutes before the verbal commitment of five-star defensive lineman Justin Scott. So, you want to talk about unfortunate timing 
I don't think we could have picked a worse time to record last week's episode. I thought you were firing me for something I said last episode. No, never. You didn't listen to the beginning of the pod, man. You're the lemon to my lime, but let's I don't even like lemons. That's the problem. Maybe, Maybe that's the challenge we're at. Let's jump back into or jump into for the first time this episode some Ohio State football recruiting news, all right? So the last 10 or so days have been a mixed bag for the Buckeyes. They landed Scott on July 2nd which seemed to catch many people off guard. I had read that he was uh, a team up north lean, but Larry Johnson apparently closed late and sealed the deal for OSU. We'll talk more about that later. But then on the 4th of July, four-star defensive end Marquise Lightfoot out of Chicago, Illinois, committed to Miami. He actually had multiple crystal balls for Ohio State the morning of, uh, but those suddenly changed like an hour or two before he was set to announce his commitment. Lightfoot was a player that OSU wanted and expected to land, but they ultimately lost out to the Hurricanes. Uh, and Chuck, we probably shouldn't be surprised because I don't know if you knew this, but Jason Taylor is Miami's defensive line coach. I, I was completely unaware, but kids are going to want to play for him. So I thought that was pretty cool. That was unique. And maybe I should have known better, but JT doing some things for the Hurricanes down in Miami. Next, on July 5th, wide receiver Elijah Moore committed to Florida State over Ohio Ohio State, handing Brian Hartline a rare loss. Now, loss is relative here, right? Moore is a lower-ranked recruit at a position Hartline typically dominates, but he did have an OSU offer, and I assume that the Buckeyes do want a third wide receiver in their 2024 class. And finally, on July 6th, Miles Lockhart, cornerback out of Arizona, did commit to Ohio State, giving them 18 total in the class thus far. So two wins and a few recent losses for Ohio State on the recruiting trail. But in the aggregate, they are, I would say they're crushing it. Chuck, let's circle back around to Scott real quick. He is a huge get for the program, as well as Larry Johnson, the first five-star defensive tackle since Teron Vincent, if I'm not mistaken, built like a DT, moves like a defensive end. He is the 14th ranked player in the country. What does his commitment, as long as it holds, mean for Ohio State? You know, I actually, it's a great thing. Don't get me wrong, but I think, you know, we've had conversations about uh, Larry Johnson on multiple pods, and I feel like uh, this guy puts him on uh, back on the clock, right? Because now he's got to he's got to develop him because he's he like you said he is a defensive tackle, like he's six four. He's he's a monster. He needs developed into a first round pick is what he needs. It's a huge gift for the program, especially considering you know we're we're cautiously optimistic that. We're going to see a couple of defensive tackles on this year's team uh, ball out and maybe leave to go to the NFL. Like there, there's a a world out there where where Mike Hall and Tyleek Williams are both uh, playing in the NFL this time next year. So there's going to need to be some depth. You don't expect him to come in and, and be a starter from day one, though it has happened. You know, defensive tackle seems to be a spot that it can happen if you're strong enough. But he's somebody that is going to have to be in that pipeline. So I think it's awesome. Uh, now now the real work, real work starts for Larry Johnson. Yeah, I guess you'd rather him be on the clock than off, right? And that, Right. Yeah, that's true. He may have been off the clock at times during the last couple of years. And the thing that's almost annoying about Scott Scott's commitment, and this is tongue-in-cheek, but like, look, he's 6'4", 305 pounds already. He is like that that new modern monster of a defensive tackle, excluding like Aaron Donald types, right? But you think back to the last five-star DT that they signed, it was Teron Vincent, six foot nothing, 290 nothing. Obviously, he had a great pedigree coming out of high school, but you know, he got to, to college and he just was not the same physically imposing guy like a Tyreek Williams, like a Mike Hall Jr., like um, a Justin Scott here. So it's like, 
why the hell haven't these guys been playing? If that's what you want and that's what you're going to recruit, why did you have Teron Vincent, undersized guy, um, Jerron Cage, like no offense, but like a sort of a big, slow, lumbering guy. Um, Justice Scott definitely seems like an upgrade, but it, it sort of makes you wonder like how, why weren't these guys in the lineup sooner? You know, like hopefully we're going to see with Williamson Hall. But um, coincidentally, or maybe not, right after Scott's commitment, five-star defensive end Dylan Stewart picked up three new crystal balls for the Buckeyes. He is the number two edge rusher and ninth ranked player overall in the 2024 class. The timing makes me think that maybe Scott and Stewart have potentially talked about playing together and, and Ohio State is also trending well for defensive lineman, another five-star Edric Houston out of Georgia. Chuck, I may need you to hose me down. What if the Buckeyes land all three of these guys? You, uh, you, Kudos to him. I don't see it happening. I I would love for him to get one. When I first saw the Lightfoot news, it was it, it, the optimist in me was saying maybe they said, "Hey, we've got somebody else that we're going after," and, and maybe it was one of those scenarios where, yeah, he has an offer, but they've got a good feeling about somebody else, and they wanted to make that run. Now, the other part of me is like, "Hey, you just don't turn down four star." Defensive ends, you make it work, you figure it out, you fit them on the roster however you can. But if they think that there's going to be a roster crunch and they couldn't afford to take all four guys and they're hopeful to get these three, then then maybe that's where it is. Uh, you you pull a guy out of uh, out of Georgia like that, I, I think you're going to see a momentum shift for this uh, for this class nationwide. You know, we are optimistic here in Ohio but you don't really feel that like wave of momentum with like national guys talking about this class I think they all feel like Alabama and Georgia are going to close like they normally do and Ohio State will be in their normal spot three to five but if they can pull this triumvirate off then you've got conversations about having one of the better classes of the last 10 or 15 years in that case yeah, and look, I think that pulling Houston out of Georgia would be a, a huge win, and it's not something that you typically see. But look, not everyone wants to go to Georgia. Not everyone wants to go to Alabama. And Ohio State is constantly pulling in these top five recruiting classes for a reason. And these guys clearly see something, or not that they see it now, they've witnessed everything that Larry Johnson has done in his career. And I think that speaks volumes to some of these young guys. I know that the production has been down, but then you look at that defensive line or what we think it's going to be this year. You've got JT Tuimoloau, Jack Sawyer, Williams and Hall, who we've already talked about. Like kids are looking at that and it's like, yeah, okay. I know the production has been down, but I, I'm seeing these mock drafts for 2024 that have all four of those guys going in the first 60 picks and things like that. So uh, Larry Johnson's story has not been written or fully written, clearly. And so Talane Justin Scott was a huge get. And for what it's worth on Marquise Lightfoot, I, I read today, actually, that Ohio State is not done recruiting him. They thought that he was in the fold as of the night of like July 3rd. Uh, they had the crystal balls and I, I wish I could give credit to whoever like wrote this piece that I was looking at online, but I think that they're, they're going to continue to put the full court press on Marquise Lightfoot unless maybe they get the commitments of Stewart and Houston quickly or, or you know, in the next coming months. But we know that uh, Edric Houston, I think, is slated to announce on August 22nd. And Dylan Stewart has not given a commitment date. So as long as they are still in the running for those guys, I don't know how much or if they circle back around to Marquis Lightfoot. But like I said, uh, according to at least one person, and I wish I could give credit, they are not done recruiting Lightfoot. So I'd like to see them hey, on Lightfoot. I'd, I'd like to see them flip them on National Signing Day. OSU's not generally been a, a flip on signing day type of program. It'd be fun to be that that 
that program and watch that because that's those are the ones that get the headlines like, whoa, look what happened. Like that'd be uh, a fun day to experience one or two of those with some big time guys. You're right. I honestly can't think of the last player that Ohio State has air quotes flipped on or around national signing that they like to lock up their classes early and try to keep those guys in the fold. They're all about cohesiveness and, and building a, a group that comes in together, stays together, but we'll see. And I also don't want to get too far ahead of myself, but Ohio state also appears to be in good standing with Ohio cornerback, Aaron Scott, you know, to what extent, who knows, uh, as well as California linebacker Kingston Viliamu Asa. I hope I got that right. Uh, Both players will be announcing their commitments later this month. I believe that Viliamu Asa is on the 23rd and Aaron Scott is on July 30th. So all in all, great things happening on the football recruiting trail, and we love to see it. Now, let's shift gears a little bit before we talk theme week, Chuck, a few former Ohio State basketball players in the news recently, starting with NBA free agency, your Lakers, the Los Angeles Lakers re-signed D'Angelo Russell to a new two-year deal, nearly 18 mil per season for a guy who was benched in the playoffs. How are you feeling about that one, Chuck? See, being the NBA professional scout that I am, you and I both know this was a perfect deal. Two things. One, you can't lose the asset. Now, they were paying him 30-plus. Now they're paying him 18. Two, he's a regular season innings eater, right? He's that fourth <laughs> starter. ERA is about four and a half. But you know what? Six innings, three, eight hits, three runs, four walks, 120 pitches, but keeps you in the game every five days. They're going to have nights where he's going to have to carry the load. That's just that's how it is with that team. The third part, with it only being a two-year deal, this is a tradable asset. He's here for that. There, there's a scenario where he's in LA until the trade deadline, or next offseason he's a expiring contract at that point. So I actually think it's not bad. I think they know now, not not that they didn't already know, they were just hopeful <laughs> that he's not a playoff top five guy right he he's a guy that's gonna have to be a sixth or seventh or eighth guy in minutes played in the eight playoffs he's not gonna be the guy that's gonna be able to run the show for you then but when lebron's only gonna play 55 games ad's only gonna play 60 you've got to have some guys to shoot when they are not on the court and that's gonna be where he comes into play yeah i completely agree with you you know i gave you a hard time because i don't like your lakers but it's a it's a it's a rich price tag for my blood, but all of the points that you brought up are are accurate. I think that <clears throat> I would not be shocked if D'Angelo Russell's playing somewhere else this Christmas. But um, another signing that I found interesting related to Ohio State, Kata Bates-Diop signed a two-year, $5 million deal with the Phoenix Suns just after the opening of NBA free agency. I know that he has been primarily a role player thus far in his NBA career, but he started 42 games for the Spurs last season, knocked down 39% of his threes, and generally played pretty well for Pop, a coaching legend, right? The money seemed a bit low, but in my opinion, the upside is high for KBD on this newly formed super team. He could find himself starting next to Devin Booker, Bradley Beal, Kevin Durant, and possibly DeAndre Ayton. I doubt Kidabates Diop has ever been a fifth offensive option on the floor. But look, we watched this guy drop 20 a game in Columbus. He's a legit ball player, and I think that he could be a diamond in the rough for Phoenix. Yeah, I actually I'm happy for him that he gets to go to a winning team. And looking at like looking at his stats last year, because of this team and how how top heavy they are and what he can provide, like he played 21 minutes a game last year, scored almost 10 points a game. Like I feel like that that's going to be what he's going to be this year on a team that wins 55 games. Like you could easily see him playing. There's nights where if they've got a wing that they don't want KD to have to worry about guarding, that they uh, Kato plays 35 minutes because he's guarding that guy. 
Like I could absolutely see him being 10 or 12 points a game. If it, Now this is based on his shot that is much improved continuing to stay there. He shot 39% from three. If he shoots 39% from three, as big as he is, as well as he plays defense, he's going to play 30 minutes a night on this team and is going to, because there's going to be so much coverage of it, he is going to be a turn into a household name in NBA circles potentially because of this. I think he could start. You know, you look at the rest of that team, they need a uh they need somebody who's between, you know, six three and seven foot. They need at least one guy. And and he perfectly encapsulates that. But look, I'm I'm writing down an over under right now of, you know, thirty to forty. How many times I butcher KD versus KBD when we talk about this during the NBA season. Uh, I'm not looking <laughs> forward to that. But look, good for him. I think he's gonna ball out in the desert. Last little nugget here, former Buckeye and 2022 NBA draftee EJ Liddell signed a three-year deal with the New Orleans Pelicans last Thursday. He was, of course, taken in last year's draft but tore his ACL in Summer League. New Orleans kept him in the fold on a two-way deal, and he has now signed and they've now signed him to a pretty standard rookie contract, at least for a second round draft pick. Great to see Liddell rewarded and looking healthy after his unfortunate injury. He's played a couple games in this year's summer league. Chuck, any expectations for him in the upcoming 2023-24 season? Probably not till the second half. I know ACLs are are a 12-month injury, but you would think with as deep as this team is, even without Zion being healthy, and who knows if he is, if Zion's healthy, there, there's nothing. There's not going to be any minutes for him. But I think as the season goes on, I think it's there's there's that chance. And you know what? Getting two years of guaranteed money, like that's that's great. That gives him time. He he doesn't in order to earn that next contract, he doesn't have to be uh, a superstar in November. He needs to improve this first year and then really become an asset the second year in order order to look at that third year is getting picked up and then from there I mean sky's the limit you would hope and speaking of Zion I mean he's clearly he had to have already learned the best lesson in the world from Zion or multiple lessons right don't get fat and don't do some of the things with the uh the fairer sex that that you have engaged in now that you got a little bit of money so um again there's some some alleged behaviors out there i don't want to get go too far down that road but at the very least he's learning some lessons from a current teammate for as long as that lasts but um chuck i think i think now's a good time to pivot to some theme week content what do you say let's do it you want to take a break before we do that absolutely uh thanks for keeping me straight there chuck we're gonna go ahead and pivot to some theme week content after a quick break we'll be right back with you guys Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. All right, welcome back, everybody, to Hang Out in the Holy Land, Land Grant's flagship podcast. I am Josh Uli. With me, as always, is Chuck Holmes. And we are ready to get into some theme week content. In case you have not been following along, and shame on you if that is the case, Land Grant is focusing content on a particular theme each week, hopefully filling the summer sports gaps and bringing up some fun and interesting stuff to talk about. Last week's theme was Buckeye Heroes, and this week it is Behind Enemy Lines. Now, Behind Enemy Lines is more or less intended to sort of break down or discuss Ohio State's 2023 opponents, and Chuck and I are going to do that, but we wanted to branch out just a little bit, so we are going to look at teams that we consider to be Big Ten sleepers, all right, whether they are on the Buckeyes' regular season schedule or not, giving us a little bit of a loophole. You ready for that, Chuck? I got my notes ready. Nobody wants to read them, and most people can't read them, but 
I'm, I'm ready. Let's do this, man. All right. So Big Ten sleeper number one, as decided by us, the Hangout Boys, is Penn State. The Nittany Lions will visit Columbus on October 21st. And, you know, we talked about this, Chuck. We only put Penn State in the sleeper category because they haven't won the Big Ten since 2016. But James Franklin has a pretty good thing going in Happy Valley for 11 win seasons since he took over, including last season. They are very talented and they bring back a bunch of guys from last year's squad. But what I think makes Penn State a real threat is this year is who they don't bring back. Former quarterback Sean Clifford has moved on after a decade at the school and 2023 is all about Drew Aller. Aller, who is from Ohio, was the number one quarterback in the 2021 class and turned down an Ohio State offer, which is you know sort of a big deal. Behind him, the Nittany Lions have two awesome running backs in Nick Singleton, Nick Singleton and Katron Allen, very similar to Travion Henderson and Mayan Williams, that whole thunder and lightning thing. They combined for nearly 2,000 rushing yards last season. Penn State also has one of the best left tackles in college football in – Whew, here we go. Alumuiwa Fashanu. Um, and a few returnees at both wide receiver and tight end. I hope I did not butcher that name, but I likely did. They also added former 1,000-yard receiver at Kent State, Dante Cephas. And finally, on defense, Penn State is going to be experienced, but they did lose a few big-time leaders in Joey Porter Jr., Jair Brown, and P.J. Mustafer. However, the Nittany Lions were 10th in points per game allowed last year. So the bones of a stingy unit are still there. That unit will be led by linebackers Abdul Carter and Curtis Jacobs, as well as defensive end Chop Robinson. Chuck, I just read you off a bunch of stats and a bunch of names. How serious are you taking or how serious are you about Penn State as a contender? I have been the most anti-Penn State uh, person I know. I haven't bought into Penn State in years. I never believed in Sean Clifford. I never, I I haven't really believed in James Franklin a lot. But getting rid of Clifford really does change my, my tune with them. And I think it takes them from fake contenders, which they've been for the last few years, to real contenders. And I, I, I think uh, Drew Aller is is really the key here. If he lives up to the hype of a five-star quarterback and and arguably the number one quarterback in the class, depending on on who you spoke to, like that's a big deal. And that carries programs like that right there. If he is that guy, they're ten and two without even like blinking, right? And then with the rest of the team with the running backs, with the line, with the defense that generally is always doing what it needs to do and has a really good coordinator in Manny Diaz. So, and, and the only thing to me, the only part that they have a weakness because we weren't impressed with him here was Yurisich, right? We, we haven't seen him call plays at a really high level except one time at Oklahoma State, I believe. Everywhere else, he's not really done what people thought he could do. So, if he can handle this high-powered or potentially high-powered offense, I, Penn State worries me a lot, and and I think they are a sleeping giant for this year. For me, it's all about the running backs. Um, you know, I mentioned the left tackle. I wish I was more familiar with the rest of their offensive line. I know they're experienced. They've got uh, redshirt seniors, and six. Uh, I think they've got a sixth-year guy at center, if I'm not mistaken, but. Singleton and Allen, they're the real deal. We saw that last year, and what's sort of crazy about them is they can take turns when one is off, the other is not. Singleton's your big home run hitter. Katron Allen's this big hulking beast, but he can also run past people. I think they've got one of the best running back duos in the country. Um, Up there with Ohio State for sure maybe up there with Michigan. I mean, they're legit in Happy Valley with the running back. So that's one concern I have. Drew Aller is another, obviously. He should be a massive upgrade over Sean Clifford when it comes to quarterback fundamentals and and everything like that, right? But look, for what it's worth, Sean Clifford was a gamer. Like, you may not have wanted him to be your gamer, 
but he was a heck of a competitor and he was a leader. So, you know, give him credit for that. I'm not, no, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not giving John Clifford. I'm giving him credit for being the starting quarterback at Penn state. That is as far as I'm willing to go. Nothing past that is, is credit given. And this is, this can be, uh, all of Sean Clifford's Twitter followers can attack us when we post this. That's fine. Bring that. I, I want that smoke, bring that smoke to me. I, I, I want all of it. Let's hear it. And, and that's fair, but look, I, we're not entirely sure what this passing game can be with Drew Allery. We expect him to perform at a high level. We know what he was capable of in high school, and Ohio State clearly wanted this guy. But Keandre Lambert-Smith is their top returning wide receiver, and I think he's been built up to something, but the production certainly has not been there. I think he was – third on the team last year, if I'm not mistaken, around like 400 yards. I don't have it up in front of me. Um, they lost a couple big big guys. Uh, Parker Washington comes to mind. He was a big dog for them. Uh, they had Tinsley, who transferred in from, I want to say, Western Kentucky. Uh, again, I don't have their 2022 roster in front of me, but Keandre Lambert-Smith has not been a number one option. And that's probably what he is going to be expected to be in 2023. You know, Cephas put up some good numbers at Kent State, but that's at a lower level. We don't know how he's going to compete against these Ohio, these uh, Big Ten secondaries. And speaking of secondaries, I, I really do like what Penn State offers on defense. I gave some of their stats from last year, but losing Porter Jr. and Jair Brown and P.J. Mustafer, like, that's not nothing. You know what I mean? Porter Jr. was one of the biggest, most physical cover corners in the entire country. Jair Brown was a ball hawk at safety. P.J. Mustafer was like 480 pounds, but could move like a cat the interior, uh, on the interior of that defensive line. So they lost a lot of talent on that side of the ball. Love their linebackers. That's going to be the strength of their 2023 defense, I think. But they've got Kalen King returning in the secondary. Still some guys missing. I wonder if they can replicate what they did last year. And if I had to put money on it, I would say no, they can't on defense. I think that's fair. But I also think that um, – and look, uh, this is not a Penn State stand account by any means. I think if we're talking they are a sleeper, it's because the offense makes it a more balanced team. And while their defense may not be a top 10 defense, if their offense becomes a top – 15 offense, then it's a completely different conversation. And really it only comes down to the two games, right? If, if these guys play to 80 or 90% of their potential, they're 10 and two, it's comes down to what do they do against Michigan? And what do they do against Ohio state? That's it. Right. The, uh, those are the only two games these guys have to play to their potential to win. In my opinion, that's sort of the funny thing. You could say the same thing about Michigan and Ohio state. What are they going to do when they Absolutely. play the other two? Yeah. The, those those uh, those games are the only games that matter. Like that, those are the only three games that truly matter uh, in the grand scheme of the Big Ten this year. And you can't convince me otherwise. And somebody has to lose them. You know, a, a good team, two good teams are not going to win the Big Ten East. And that's why I personally am looking forward to the twelve-team playoff. Give some teams a little bit of breathing room, a little bit of uh, margin for error, but. Let's cross Penn State off as sleeper number one. They are in our – they were probably cheating, right? Like they're a quasi-sleeper. They can absolutely compete. Big Ten sleeper number two as determined by Hangout in the Holy Land. Ohio State will visit this team on October 28th in a fairly hostile environment. It hurts me to say it, but Wisconsin needs to be taken seriously in 2023 and beyond as long as Luke Fickle is there. They – are our second sleeper here. They are a team that is difficult to sort of project or pin down, in my opinion. Most of the previous coaching staff is gone. Fickle brought in former North Carolina offensive coordinator Phil Longo to run his offense. The latter runs a wide open spread offense. And Whiskey also added SMU transfer quarterback Tanner Mordecai to run said system. Mordecai passed for over 7,000 yards in 2021 and 2022 combined. So this won't be the Badger offense of yesteryear. 
Uh, solid offensive line is to be expected, like usual. And the running back duo returns, highlighted by Braylon Allen. Defensively, like Penn State, Wisconsin was awesome last year. They were 17th in points per game allowed. And Fickle is, of course, a defensive guy. The Badgers return three or four, their top three or four tacklers from last season. But I think it's fair to say the secondary is suspect. Of course, none of this mattered when Ohio State put up 52 on them last year. But that was then. This is now. Chuck, is Wisconsin a threat to steal the Big Ten or at least win the West? Oh, I, I think to me, they're the favorite of the West. Like if I had to if I had any money to put on <laughs> Big Ten West odds, it would be Wisconsin. And part of it, you know, obviously, so, full disclosure, this is a, a, a Luke Fickle fan account. Um I, I am uh, Luke Fickle is my favorite college football coach right now uh, for obvious reasons. The success he had uh, at, you know, at Ohio State, the success he had at Cincinnati, being from Cincinnati and being a Bearcat fan as a child before I became a Buckeye. Uh, I, I love what he did there. And, and frankly, he's just a damn good coach, man. And he's going to come in here and he brought these guys in that he needs. He knew he needed a quarterback. He went and got two of them. Because if Mordecai doesn't pan out for whatever reason, if the jump back up to the power five doesn't work, he's got Nick Evers waiting in the wing. Both of them have played in this style offense. They're going to be able to still run the ball. He, he still wants to run it. You see the guys like Jerome Ford that came out of, Ohio, out of Cincinnati. Like he's going to run the ball enough that, that Braylon Allen is going to be a problem for, for people and if you look at their schedule, their schedule sucks. <laughs> like it's, yeah. it's, it's now it, that's just a big 10 West for you. But like, if they go to, if they can beat Washington state week two and, and don't get me wrong, traveling across the country is, is tough. Like they're looking at potentially being five and O with Iowa coming in. Like I, and, and I know we're going to Spoiler alert, we're going to talk about Iowa, but they're still coming into Camp Randall like you would prefer it that way. Like there's there's a small chance that I shouldn't say small. There's a decent chance they're seven and oh when Ohio State comes to town. And that's going to be huge. And even if they're not, they're going to be six and one or five and two and still be in it because they finish with. Indiana, Northwestern, Nebraska, and Minnesota. It's not like they finish with Georgia, Alabama, and Texas A&M. So even if they were five and three, yeah, five and three after Ohio State, like nine and three is not out of the realm, and nine and three probably wins you the West. Gosh, Wisconsin scares the heck out of me. They really do, just because of the fickle factor, and also Phil Longo. I mean, look what he did with Drake May in North Carolina last year. This guy knows how to call an offense. I do I do question whether or not Wisconsin is ready to make this step this quickly. You know, it's been a, a lean couple of years. The end of the Paul Christ era uh, was not great. They were constantly losing two, three, four, five games. Um, and there, there has been some talent depletion from the roster, uh, especially on the offensive line. Like, they're typically great, but you didn't hear about those two, three, four guys all going in the NFL draft this past year, right? You know, Braylon Allen, look, he doesn't need a whole lot of help. He's a tank. But, you know, if I'm to take them as seriously as I used to again, then I probably need to see like a Joe Thomas or one of those guys, multiple guys up front for them. Because when it comes to the passing game, Look, I know they brought in Mordecai, and I know they brought in some other transfers from other schools. Look, I need to see proof of concept. I know that Mordecai can throw it all over the place. Can his receivers catch the ball? Can they adapt to Big Ten physicality? Can they do it in November? Look, we don't play in the Ohio. I'm sorry. The Big Ten is not Arctic Circle, you know, but. It gets chilly come October and November. Can Tanner Mordecai and those guys run a spread offense late in the year? Because, you know, we don't see a lot of teams do that. We see Ohio State do it in November and December because of the talent they have on their roster. 
Wisconsin sure as shit isn't there yet. So, I don't know. It's TBD on that, and I'm not overly impressed with the, the back end of that defense. But, again, you've got Mike Trestle there with Luke Fickle. Look at what they did in Cincinnati. They'll figure it out, right? They don't have Perry Eliano coaching the, the DBs anymore because he's here in Columbus. <laughs> but but they know what they're doing. Those guys know what they're doing, and they're going to bring the right mentality in the uh, coach the right scheme and everything in, in Camp Randall. And I'm also hesitant to go to that stadium if I'm a Buckeye fan. It's not a great place to be. But uh, I absolutely take Wisconsin seriously as a threat in 2023. And and really, what do you got to do? You just got to win the West. Like win the West and then it's a one-game showdown and anything can happen. Like we've, we've seen it in, in Indianapolis. Like we – Look at a couple of years ago, like Northwestern had Ohio State on the ropes for two and a half quarters, three quarters of that game. Like they needed a record breaking performance to win that game. So I, I, I'm with you, man. If they figure it out, they go 10 and two, they figure it out and they end up in the Big Ten championship game. That will be a um, we'll be drinking early that day, just in case we want to be prepared. <laughs> The pod after that one is going to need to be heavily edited, win or lose. The fans in Wisconsin will also be drinking early that day because they're known. They are known. They are a rowdy bunch, and I appreciate the heck out of them for it. I'll go ahead and say it. What the hell else are you going to do in Wisconsin? Take that. That's fair. That's absolutely fair. Chuck, let's get to Big Ten sleeper number three because, frankly, you ruined it. Uh, you said spoiler alert, Sorry, but it doesn't work to. after you reveal the spoiler. Uh, you know, look, Iowa does not play Ohio State in the regular season, but you never know what will happen. Uh, they could play in the Big Ten championship game like we just discussed. I threw the Hawkeyes in because of their defense. Second nationally in points per game allowed last season. That unit, of course, lost Jack Campbell, Lucas Van Ness, and Riley Moss, among others. But... Look, they return a million dudes on the defensive line. Uh, they get back Cooper DeGene and Xavier Nwangpa in the secondary. That D is going to be stingy, but it always comes down to offense with Iowa. And that offense, they, they added Cade McNamara from Michigan, and they've got some talent in the backfield. <clears throat> they also added Caleb Brown from Ohio State. They added Flipper Anderson's son of all people, from Charleston Southern. He had like 700 yards last year for Charleston I Southern. Flipper. <laughs> I love Flipper. I loved watching Flipper. It was, my, it was the man. I think he had like the NFL record for yard, receiving yards in a game for like a decade or so. so for a long time. Yeah, a long time. You, you would have to assume that his son knows what he's doing. Unfortunately, as long as Bryant Ferentz is calling the shots – I am going to continue to bet the under with them. And that's also why, because we didn't say explicitly that we were going to rank these teams, but I did. And that's why Iowa came in third for me because of Brian Ferentz. Um, I think that his dad, Kurt Ferentz, the, the Iowa head coach, you have to respect everything that he's done in his career. And they continue to develop talent, but I think he's gotten complacent. I think that he is now overrated because of what he has done in the past. Um, with his son calling the shots on offense, look, they're a putrid offense. Um, and he has still kept Brian there in spite of all the numbers, in spite of all the negative records they have set. I mean, good God, watching Spencer Petrus and, and that crew try to throw a forward pass last year was just disgusting. We watched it in the shoe, right? Iowa got obliterated by Ohio State. And look, they shouldn't. Uh, Iowa, if they are what they think they are, especially with Phil Parker's defense, like they shouldn't be getting blown out by 30, 40, 50 points by anyone. But that's what happened because the offense couldn't do a damn thing in Columbus. So, I don't know. Maybe they figure something out. I think Cade McNamara is a reputable quarterback. Like, 
Sure, he lost his job to J.J. McCarthy last year, but he put up decent stats in 2021. And J.J. McCarthy, as much as it pains me to say it, is a hell of a quarterback. So he lost his job to a heck of a quarterback. I don't know. Chuck, viable threat, Iowa, yay or nay? Yeah, I think they're more of a, they just got to get hot at the right times and then be crazy in the Big Ten championship game type threat. But you're right. Like they they can't be worse than they were. And going back to what we talked about on, with on offense, they like legitimately cannot be cannot. Worse. They can't. Like and and like you said, McNamara is serviceable. He'll he'll do what he needs to do. Uh, Caleb Brown will hate his life by I don't know October. But we talked about that on one of the first pods we ever did. Like what I don't know what the kid was thinking. Um, but the same thing is with Wisconsin. Their schedule sucks. Like, yep. it's, it's yeah, just like Wisconsin. Like, yep. So, so you, so they go to even if they lose at Penn State and at Wisconsin, like every other game, like they're going to be no more than like a touchdown dog in any of these games. Like, it's not completely out of the realm of possibility because of this crap ass schedule for them to go eight and four. And if you're eight and four in the West, all bets are off. Like if what we said about Wisconsin takes another year, which could, don't get me wrong, it could, then eight and four may make a run. Like you think about it, Northwestern's out. <laughs> no matter what happens, Northwestern's out. Uh, you would think uh, Purdue's going to take a year. You would think Nebraska's going to take a year. You would think Illinois is going to take a step back. Like it gets, you, you start running out of West teams pretty quick. So I could, I, I, Unfortunately, I could see it. I would be less worried about Iowa. That would be I would drink half as much uh, against Iowa in the Big Ten Championship as I would against Wisconsin. That that I can guarantee. Yeah, the funny thing with them, I stumbled upon this little nugget today. Spencer Petrus is back for a sixth year. I, I just I was gonna bring that up. I saw it when I was looking at the roster. <laughs> Look, man, like is he thinking. Well, I, I'm th- I am thinking that he loves Iowa City and he loves campus. But yeah, man, like I, I guess he's on scholarship, so he's cool. Maybe he's just going to school. <laughs> like he's just looking at this. Let me finish up this master's because the, that's all I got. Yeah, no offense to the guy. I mean, he never wronged me personally, but he he definitely offended my eyeballs for the last three years. I watched this guy, and he was one of the worst quarterbacks. In all of FBS. But to your point, yeah, maybe he enjoys the scenery. He's back working on a master's or something like that. But, like, I don't know. Do you think he's super loved on campus? Like, those credits roll over, my man. Just take your ass somewhere else. Get that master's uh, in, in a sunnier locale. He's actually from California, if I'm not mistaken. Go back to UCLA, man. Go be a backup in Inglewood. Uh, go to USC. Go to Fresno State even. Something like that. But, look, more power to him. Uh, if I could have stayed at Ohio State for a sixth year and had school paid for and played some ball, I probably would have done the same thing. So those were our three big sleepers, Chuck. And I purposely did not tell you that I had another or like a deep, deep sleeper. Before I reveal mine, do you have any other teams that you're at least keeping an eye on in the Big Ten? I am not in a sense of that they can really compete, but I'm fascinated to see what Walters can do at Purdue and build on Brom. I was never a Brom guy, and I know he had a good year last year, and he parlayed it into going home to his alma mater. And that defense at Illinois last year was wild. Like, it was really good. He's a yeah. really good coach. So I, I'm fascinated to see what he can do there and if he can build some sustainability. Like, sustainability at, at West Lafayette is consistently going to bowl games, right? Like, a bowl game is your expectation. And, and making a run at 8-4 and four every couple of years or 9-3, and three, can he do that for a few years before he probably also parlays it into a bigger job? But that that one's really, um, really interesting. And and in a train wreck sense, Michigan State, I I really would like to see what Mel Tucker does. I like Mel Tucker. I just think that that first year set him up for so much failure. Like if he had just gone six and six that first year, 
I think he could have just built the program the right way. And because he didn't, because he had such a such a great first year, I do think it's going to set him up to just completely crash and burn with this program. Not only did he do it to himself, which, I mean, you want to win games, right? It's not like he could help it, but the university set him up too. Handing in that big contract after one year, like he has to repeat that multiple times. Otherwise, you know, fans are going to want to run him out of town. But I, I like what you threw in there about Purdue. The team I had in mind, the team that I am going to keep an eye on, I'm similar to you. I don't think that they can compete, especially not in the Big Ten East. But Maryland, for me, is a team to watch. I don't know about them being a Big Ten sleeper, like I said, but they do have upset potential. They've got Tiger Valoa at quarterback. Roman Hemby is a good running back. They lost some experience at wide receiver, but they added a bunch of it via the transfer portal. Good speed on defense. Um, but what's going to hurt them is – Look, they are never going to win the line of scrimmage on either side. So that's where I think Maryland has trouble. But if they get in a shootout or they play against a team that similarly does not have the biggest, strongest guys necessarily on defense, then I think Maryland can surprise some people. Um, They've got some dudes, and I would not take them lightly. They're a team you better not turn the ball over on. You better not put the ball on the ground accidentally a couple times because if you give that offense short fields and let them kind of just dictate pace with that, they you're right. They can. I mean, look at – and going to Maryland has been a nightmare for the Buckeyes recently. Like, I, I'm, I'm really glad uh, that they don't have to do that this year because it would just – it scares the shit out of you. Crab cakes and football. That's what Maryland does, baby. That is what Maryland does. But I think that's going to wrap up the sleepers, Chuck. We both threw a couple in there at the end, but I think you and I are both really looking at Penn State, Wisconsin, and Iowa. That being said, you got any viewer questions or listener questions for this one? I know we typically wrap up the episode in that manner. What do you got for me? I got one that is uh, kind of what we uh, talked about here. Uh, once I saw the question, it kind of rang true for this. One is weak. Uh, I, I need everyone out there to be a little bit better. I want to see greater volume. There's no, a boy over have, here. I, I have two, just the first one. Yeah, because okay, I'm a volume shooter. Kind of the... It takes me a while to get warmed <laughs> up. I need some no. reps. Man, I'd, I'd love for us to be able to go 10, 15, 20 minutes with this. So, yeah, keep sending them in. And we, we're getting a, we're getting a few that are uh, not appropriate, so I'm, I'm trying to push through them. Um, love that. But uh, I, I, I did get a, a picture from a young lady uh, that was you <laughs> very flattering. You like a damn nope. rug. Just give me the well, question. Nope. No, I did. But then I looked at the Twitter account and I realized that it wasn't actually that young lady that <laughs> said it. <laughs> that is very fair. Yeah. So we yeah we got some uh, we got some block uh, some bot nudity. Um, so th- this question was besides Ohio State, and I know we talked about sleepers for the Big Ten. Besides Ohio State and Michigan. Do you see anybody, if they were to win the Big Ten, being able to have any kind of chance in the uh, playoff to make a run? And to me, this is Penn State and Wisconsin, right? I mean, do we think Penn State and or Wisconsin, if they were to win the Big Ten, could win a semifinal game? I'm not there yet on Wisconsin, but I am on Penn State because, again, proof of concept, we've seen it. James Franklin uh, has gotten his team to some big bowls. Uh, They've competed with Ohio State and Michigan. So if they run the East gauntlet and then win it, then, yeah, I'm absolutely going to buy them as a serious contender. Wisconsin, again, man, it's just it's going to take me a little bit more time to get there. I, I have trust in Luke Fickle. But unless Tanner Mordecai is like a Heisman contender, no, I'm out. Yeah, because you figure if Penn State makes it, it's because they went at a minimum 12-1. and Like they can't lose to both Ohio State and Michigan and still make the Big Ten Championship. So they beat one of those teams. To me, that tells me that they're somebody. Now, I don't think they can beat Georgia, but I bet they can beat SC or uh, 
Texas or uh, Clemson or whoever that may be. So, yeah, I agree with you. And, and, and same with Wisconsin. They're a couple years away. And Fick, Luke, Luke Fickle will get them there. I do believe that, especially with a 12 team. Like, once they get to the 12 team, I truly believe uh, Wisconsin is going to be a player every year to be in that 12 team with, with Fickle as, as the head coach. So uh, that was a great one. The other one is a, a personal one. Uh, somebody in what's his, what's his Jabron's name? Jason, Jason wanted to know what we got for vacation plans for this football season. I know you already went on yours. Uh, where, where, what did you partake in on vacation? this uh this fine summer yeah so we went to the keys down in florida uh we're gonna take a little mini one up to and people are gonna hate me we're going up to crystal lake in michigan of all places for a short little vacay but hey hey football aside <laughs> michigan lakes are are where it's at for a little vacation time it, people just they're gonna have to understand you're not you're not vacationing at the big house Although you and I did uh, in college for yeah. three to four hours, but we spent we spent a vacation's worth of money to get in. Yeah, that's definitely true. But those are it for me. Come football season, though, uh, you know, I dial in. I come down to the man cave. I ignore the wife most weekends, and we get down to business. What about you, Chuck? What about you and the fam? Yeah, so we're a uh, we're a spring break and summer break vacation got uh team so we spent spring break must be Destin. nice man having all those it millions is. yeah <laughs> yeah well it's a this is land grant money man now that i'm here we can afford it so yeah we we did Destin in the spring and we love it uh weather was crap this year but we get a little condo on the beach and and the wife can spend uh upwards of 12 to 14 hours on the beach Sounds great, Chuck. I'm obviously envious. Uh, I know what? we were about to. I knew we were about to wrap up, but I wanted to cut you off just a little bit. So, as of two minutes ago, according to Pete Thamel, Northwestern has fired Pat Fitzgerald as its head football coach. So, that's what we do. We break news on this podcast, and look, it's something that we talked about ahead of time. We probably won't revisit it much in the future because, again, it's going to take a long, long time for all these details to come out. But for my money, and now that it has apparently happened, I think that Northwestern did the right thing in firing or dismissing Pat Fitzgerald. Um, throw the performance aside, they clearly felt that there was enough behind these accusations of this you know, inappropriate and you know, disgusting and lewd behavior that happened within his program under his watch. And so, again, breaking news, according to Pete Thamel, Northwestern has fired head football coach Pat Fitzgerald. Yeah, that's uh, that's a shame for everybody involved uh, that was doing the right thing. And and I'm sure there are plenty of people in that program that were. And, and you feel for them because this is throwing their world upside down. And they're put in a spot that they never asked for. So, uh, you know, the hope is the team can kind of band together over whoever they decide is going to be the interim. Obviously, it's too late to hire a replacement now, but uh, hopefully they can figure it out and and the team can figure out how they want to play this season. And uh, in all honesty, those of them that were involved uh, I hope they get out it and uh, are dealt with some punishment as well, because while they are young adults, they are still adults. And these guys were, were doing stuff that sure sounds like wasn't appropriate and you shouldn't do to uh, somebody who you consider a quote unquote brother. You know, you hear about the brotherhoods and, and that just doesn't seem like something, uh, you know, I'm an old guy that that experienced some stuff like this when I was younger and, and didn't think nothing of it. But as I've gotten older, I realized how ridiculously stupid being anywhere near anything like that is and how, uh, like how inappropriate it is to, to behave like that with people that, that you supposedly like and, and love. So hopefully the program can move forward. Uh, it'll be fascinating to see, uh, come December, January, what, 
a head coach looks like for that program. Uh, you know, they obviously haven't had to hire one in a while. Uh, you're pointing your, uh, it looks like you got two thumbs and you're a candidate for this job. Uh, I respectfully disagree. Uh, I've seen you uh, coach nothing, actually, nothing. Look, if we can get, if we can get lighthearted for a minute, um, because we don't want to be all doom and gloom, I think that there's going to be enough of that around the Northwestern program, right? We don't need to add to it. So if we can be lighthearted for a second, yeah, I, I, I absolutely am throwing my hat into the ring. Uh, I'll tell you right now, I think I can do better than two or three wins per year. I don't know if I'm going to get back to Indy with Northwestern anytime soon, but they need a reset. It's probably well past time for a reset. And no one was better at that, especially when they were playing video games than myself. I am the king of the reset. When I don't like the way something is going, I hit that button and we start again. And Chuck, real quick, before we get out of here, I also want to say the happiest of birthdays to my guy, my dog, Mr. Urban Meyer. Say what you will about the man, July 10th, 1964, Urban Meyer was born, Urban Frank Happy Meyer birthday, the third, the last Ohio State football coach to win a national title. So happy birthday as well to Urban Meyer. And with that, we are going to get out of here, guys. For Chuck Holmes, I am Josh Dooley. Thank you guys for listening. As always, go like, rate, review, and subscribe to the pod.